0: Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. Hebrews uh, twelve one the author writes Run the du- run with endurance the race set before us. Run with endurance the race set before us. How often do you feel like you're at a race? <laughs> against time, against age, against money? Against children's games and different things you run them to? How many of you feel like you're in a race? Yeah. The race that the writer of Hebrews tells us to run with endurance is a race that's set before us that's a spiritual race. More than any other race in our lives, we've been called to one important race— and we are to run that race, not only with endurance, but in a way as if to win or attain a prize. But here's the interesting thing. If you run that race with endurance, there's not just one person that gets a crown of glory at the end or, or some kind of trophy. All of us who run this race, this is a race in Christ Jesus, will be victorious. And that's the important thing to remember. Um, George Matheson wrote, we commonly associate patience with lying down. When, you're, when, when we're told to be patient, what are we supposed to do? Take a few deep breaths, count to 10. Oftentimes, we associate patience with stopping and not doing anything. We think of it as a, an angel that guards the couch of the invalid Yet, there's this patience that I believe to be harder, the patience that can run a race with endurance. Because it takes patience. I, I used to, I know the physique that I have now does not show this, but I used to be a runner. I would run, that is not funny. You guys are horrible in the name of Jesus. But I used to run five Ks, 10 Ks, half marathon was as far as I'd gone. I tried to get up to a full marathon. I was running 18 mile stretches and felt real good about myself. And then after I did all of that, I decided, yeah, I'm done. So, uh, and this is what you get when you finish and you don't do anything after that. Um, Here's what I do know. It takes patience to train. It takes patience to truly run. Any of you who have done any exercise know that if you're going to get any benefit from it, you have to be patient enough to continue to endure the beating your body into submission so that you can get the benefit from it, right? And that's what this kind of patience we're talking about today is. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune implies great strength. But I know of something that implies a greater strength still it is the power to work under stress. To have great weight at your heart and to still continue to run. To have deep anguish in your spirit and still perform daily tasks. It is, it is a Christ-like thing to do this. The hardest thing is that most of us are called to exercise our patience, not in a sick bed but actually on the street and in day-to-day routines. To wait is hard. To do it with good courage is even harder. Today, we've been going through, actually, before I get on to today, we've been going through the book of Ruth. It's a four-chapter book in the Old Testament. It's near the beginning, so you have first five books, which is what we call the Pentateuch or the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. After Deuteronomy, you have this uh, book called Joshua and Judges, and then you have Ruth. And if you're not careful, you'll skip over Ruth and go straight to Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and all that. Ruth is super small, but it's packed with some amazing stuff. And what we've been looking at for the past three weeks is how kindness permeates these four chapters in Ruth. Ruth is a woman who is a daughter-in-law of a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi is an Israelite woman from the town of Bethlehem her and her husband Elimelech. They have two sons and they during a time of famine moved to Moab which is a country just southeast of where Bethlehem is below the Dead Sea. And Moabites were a pagan people. They didn't really worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they kind of formulated their own gods. And so when Elimelech and Naomi moved there with their two sons, um, they continued to try to hold strong to their faith, their Jewish customs and laws. But instead of marrying women of Jewish descent, Elimelech and Naomi's sons married Moabite women we find out that these Moabite women one of them named Ruth the other Orpah a great name if you're looking for a child name uh, they they lose their husbands Naomi's husband Elimelech passes away she's devastated and then to add more pain to the mix her two only sons die. We aren't told the reasons why, the cause behind it. They just pass away. And so now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, the two Moabite women. Naomi realizes the famine is finished in Bethlehem and in Judah, and she starts this trek back home. And as was customary, the daughters-in-law went with her. But she gets partway down the road and says, you know what, ladies, I love you. I appreciate all you've done for me, how you've cared for me, but he would be selfish of me to have you go with me. You'd be going back to a foreign land. More than likely, you wouldn't be able to get married there because there's obviously laws against Israelite men marrying anybody but Israelite women, and you'd basically grow up with no provision, and you guys go back to your own homes, go back while you still have youth on your side and you can remarry and have a future. Orpha protests, but she says, okay, and goes back home. But Ruth says, no, 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 I can't do this. Naomi, <laughs> where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. And so she gives up everything. And in this true act of kindness, loving kindness toward her mother-in-law, she goes with her to Bethlehem. We found out last week, as they kind of settled in, uh, what what do women who are widows in that day and age do? Well, if you don't have somebody to provide for you, like a next of kin, like her sons would have been, she, Naomi, had to fend for herself. And so widows in that time period, to gain uh, to gain some, not even status, but something to eat even in that community. We're allowed to go glean in the fields, and gleaning is just a way. I'm going to go behind and pick up the individual kernels from the harvesters that, that had fallen from the heads of grain, and I'll follow along behind them. The law allows me to do that, and, and of course, the harvesters weren't allowed to cut the corners of the field. They would leave those for the poor and, and the widows, and so this is what Ruth does. She goes out, Guess where she ends up gleaning? She gleans in a field by the name of uh, a, a, a field of uh, owned by a man named Boaz. Boaz just so happens to be a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. He's what we call a family redeemer. In that culture, it was customary that the next of kin, the next of male kin of a widow, would step in and either marry that widow or take, him, take her under his wing. It didn't always happen, but it should. So Ruth ends up gleaning in Boaz's field. Boaz notices her, and he goes over, and he welcomes her to sit at the harvester's table for lunch. He tells his harvesters, make sure you actually leave some heads of grain behind for her. She picks up around 40 to 50 pounds in our modern-day weight calculations, which is enough to last Naomi and Ruth for about four to five weeks and he says i want you to keep coming back throughout the harvest don't go into anybody else's field i've even told our men not to drive you away and not to curse you you stay with me well we come up on chapter three today and we talk about how today kindness patiently waits because in this chapter ruth steps things up a notch and so does naomi They take a great risk, but they have to patiently wait in order for this risk to pay off if it's going to. And in chapter three, here's where we pick up the story today. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I find a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain uh, with with other young women. Tonight, He will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. What does it mean to winnow barley in the threshing floor? All right, so they would pick these heads of grain. Have you ever seen a a, a wheat field or a field? They're long, tall stalks with a head of grain at the top. So what they'd do, they'd harvest them in bundles, set them up in the middle of the fields, and so then they would take those bundles to the winnowing floor, and they would unbind them, and they would take them, and they would beat the heads of the grain until the grain fell out of the heads of the stalks and then once they'd done that they would toss it up on these large sheet or burlap type things when the wind was blowing just right and it would blow the shaft away the shaft is the the outer covering of the kernels of grain so that all that would be left in the sheet or mostly would be the heads of grain and so this is what Boaz is doing he's going down to the winnowing floor the thresh or excuse me winnowing barley at the threshing floor this is what he's doing along with his other harvesters. Now do as I tell you, Naomi says, take a bath. (laughs) Sorry, that's funny. I have to tell my kids that sometimes. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. It wasn't customary to take a bath every day in that culture. And some of you say, well, it's not customary today either. And it's it's not, depending on who you are. (laughs) But she says, take a bath, put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go uncover his feet, lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. That sounds weird. Uncover his feet? I don't even like feet. I am not a foot person. Ew. And they didn't wear socks and shoes like we did. They wore sandals with that you, get, you talk about toe jam. <laughs> what had he been doing the whole day? Yeah. Okay. When, uh, he's, at the winnow, he's winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Imagine what's between them toes. And so he, she says, go, uncover his feet and lay down next to them. And then he'll tell you what to do. Now I'll get to that in a minute. It's a cultural thing that we'll talk about. Ruth says this, I'll do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night, followed the instructions of her mother-in-law after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits because it was not non-alcoholic wine, just in case you're curious. I get that all the time. It was only grape juice. Actually, no. In the biblical times, they would use fermented. wouldn't go there. That's a different sermon for a different topic. And I know some of you are really mad at me right now. So I'm not advocating going out and drinking, okay? I'm just telling you he was in good spirits. (laughs) So he went down, uh, uh, Boaz finished eating, drinking, was in good spirits. He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and he went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and she lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, a little bit surprised. (laughs) there was a woman at his feet and his feet were uncovered who are you now imagine it's dark at night you can't see they don't have electricity like we do and my guess is they probably didn't have lit flames at the winnowing floor because it would burn up the grain i'm your servant ruth she replied Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. All right, now let's stop for a second. The uncovering of feet, the spreading the cover over. This was a way of asking for marriage. Now, there are some weird theologians out there that say there's sexual connotations to this. Don't believe it all right? I, I am by no stretch of the imagination some great PhD biblical scholar, but I have done my research. More often than not, what we read is that this was a way for a woman who was in a difficult situation as a widow, who was in need and had no protection or provision, to be able to come before a man and ask for his hand in marriage, to ask for him to protect her so to uncover the feet was a way and laying down next to them was a way of saying will you take me under your covering now if the man responded in a yes fashion he would put the corner of his robe or the corner of that blanket over her as he covered his feet back up as in saying yes I'll do this for you does this make sense A different custom than we're used to. It's it's usually guys with a ring doing this, right? Um, Different circumstances and situations here. What happens next? Well, this is what Boaz says. "'The Lord bless you, my daughter. "'You are showing even more family loyalty now "'than you did before, for you've not gone "'after a younger man, whether rich or poor. "'Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter.' I'll do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. That should be an indicator that nothing bad happened on the threshing floor that night. You are a virtuous woman, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am, which means there's somebody else that has more jurisdiction over your provision than I do. Okay, does that make sense? In the way the traditions of the Jewish culture work. Stay here tonight, he says, and in the morning, I'll go talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, then great, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, he's making a vow to her in this moment. I will redeem you myself. Now, what just happened in this moment? If he doesn't redeem you, I will. What was Naomi and Ruth's current situation? They were unredeemable at this point. They were called liminal. They were homeless. They didn't have anywhere to go or anybody to provide for them. They had to get out and figure it out on their own. And in that day and age, as a woman, without any provision, it was not a good thing. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet till morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize her. For Boaz said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. She broke a rule. She took a risk. Then Boaz said to her, bring your, bring your cloak and spread it out. So she had a cloak, which is basically an outer garment that covered her. She spread it out. He measured six scoops, scoops of barley and into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Because she's probably been sitting there all night, probably has not slept a wing. What in the world happened? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Not only is he providing for Ruth, but he cares enough to provide for Naomi. Naomi. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. True kindness waits patiently for the right time to act. We tend to be a very impulsive people. We like to act before we think. When a situation comes our way, we start to go into solve it problem mold or or whatever the case may be. We are reactionary people often. And typically, when we react, we don't always react in positive ways. A lot of times, we find ourselves in situations and reacting to circumstances in the impulse of the moment, and we find ourselves having to do a little backpedaling or fixing what maybe we've broken along the way. Naomi's kindness toward Ruth wasn't in trying to be a match, or wasn't in trying to be a matchmaker, so to speak, but rather in her willingness to try to provide for Ruth's future. Do you see what Naomi's doing here? Naomi's trying to get Ruth married off because she knows I'm going to die soon. I'm an old lady. I don't have much time left. I can figure things out. And even if I don't, I've lived a decent enough life up to this point. But Ruth, she's got her whole life ahead of her. I need to do something. I need to help her in some way. While I'm still alive, my reputation as a respected woman in this culture should stand for something. So I'm going to give her an opportunity. I'm going to tell her what she needs to do because she's not familiar with our culture. She doesn't know our custom. So I'm going to tell her how to do this because I want her to be set up for the future. And Ruth, what does she have to do? Ruth's request to Boaz was considered a kind act in her day, though it was also risky. Ruth was bold, but I'm guessing she was scared to death as well to be able to step into that arena where no woman was allowed to go at night with one man. It was a kind thing for her to do, because she was fulfilling the roles and the vows of a typical Jewish woman in the same circumstances, though she was a Moabite. And Boaz, he could have kicked her out. He could have said, who are you? What, who do you think you are? Yeah, I gave you grain and everything, but this? Come on. Enough's enough. Go home. Leave me alone. But he didn't. So let's look at these three characteristics really quickly this morning. Naomi carefully and patiently worked to provide Ruth a future in her new homeland. What if your reputation precedes you in a bad way? we have a situation in Ruth. She came back from Moab having lost everything for the most part. But when she came into town, the women of Bethlehem were excited to see her. Do you remember that in chapter 1? They were excited to see her and they were like, "Look, Naomi's back." And what was her response? "Don't call me Naomi. I'm not blessed." Call me Mara, for my life is very bitter. God is shaking his fist at me. He's against me. For whatever reason, he took my husband. He took my two sons. I have nothing left. Life is so bitter for me. But what she quickly came to realize is that with Ruth being able to glean in Boaz's field and it just not being circumstantial, that God was continuing to provide for her. But, Ro- but, but Naomi's reputation, we're not all, we, we talk about this, none of us are perfect, right? And some of you may tongue-in-cheek say you are, but let's be honest, for all of sin have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're all in that same boat of a sinful nature. But if the Son has set you free, what are you? You. you guys don't sound like you believe it. See, those who have a faith and a belief in Jesus Christ, those who have committed their lives to Christ, know this unequivocally and without a shadow of a doubt. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. But I see too many, let me, I'm I'm sidestepping into a different sermon, but guys, can I I just say that? Because we talked about this in my class this morning. I see too many believers in Christ walking around like they're still in bondage. You know what i mean to shame to death to defeat to insecurities i don't know that we truly do believe as a church that the son has set us free what more can he do through the cross other than the cross what more do we expect him to do this act of loving kindness of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ to say, you can't fix yourself, but I can. All you have to do is surrender to me. Let me take care of it, okay? I'll do that for you because I love you so much. And when the Son sets us free and we say, yes, I believe, and we surrender our lives to him, we don't go back to an old pattern and way of thinking and believing. Instead, we have become set free. And in our set-freeness, we find that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is it easy? No, because life still has its way with us sometimes. Sometimes we lose our husband or our wife. Sometimes we lose our children. Sometimes we lose our battle in addiction. But if the son has set you free, he's not going to leave you in bondage. Amen. Where are you today? See, with Naomi and with Ruth and in this story with Boaz, it's not so much about your reputation because some of us have bad ones. And sometimes they precede us. Churches have reputations. Yes? And sometimes their reputations precede them. But if we begin to live like people who are free in Christ, and not just living it because it's an obligation, but living it because we truly believe it, then we would be willing to be patient in the most tense moments of life. We'd be willing to press on and to take the risks necessary so that others can see the glory of Christ in us. If we can stand affirmed in who we are and in whose we are, we have nothing to fear. For fear is a tool of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does a great job of it because we get sucked in to this cycle of fear of what if people saw the real me? What if they knew all that's hidden in here? And I talked about this in class this morning too. This is the greatest tool of the enemy. Shame will hold you back, but there is no shame in Jesus Christ. This is why confession is so important because when you confess, the enemy can no longer have control over that which you've hidden. Is that right? When you confess your sin... You basically have told the enemy you can have no sway over me in that arena of my life ever again. Yes, I have sinned and I have sinned boldly. But I confess that because it's wrong. And I repent of that. And Jesus, don't hold it against me. And you know what he does? In his grace and forgiveness, he sets us free because that's where he wants us. That's the only place we could truly be free. The second thing we know is that Ruth patiently waited for Boaz to fall asleep. Have you patiently waited? It's some of the most difficult circumstances of life. Have you patiently waited on the Lord? Isaiah says, what do you do? Wait on the Lord. And what happens? If we wait on the Lord, what happens to our strength? our strength will be renewed. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary, or they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. It goes back to this. I see too many of us struggling with temptation, with difficulties, with maybe shame. I see too many of us struggling with so much this, that we won't let ourselves off the hook because we don't truly believe that we've been set free. And if you haven't, then you probably aren't. But sometimes the enemy gets us to this place where he wants us to believe that we're not truly set free, even though Jesus has said, I forgive you. And no longer hold this against you. I've cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. When was the last time you were willing to take a risk for the right things? Oh, we risk the wrong things all the time. That's why the world is in the kind of shape it's in, let's be honest. When was the last time you were willing to take a risk for the right things? When was the last time you were willing to press in beyond your fears? When, what, what does it really take to make a leap of faith in God's direction in your life? To be a disciple of Jesus takes patience and it takes faith. Through God's loving kindness and patience with us, through the course of human history, we have been given the opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity to receive his son Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life. Grace after grace we have been given to come and to believe and to come to faith in him. It is by grace through faith. You It is by faith... By grace through faith, you have been saved. It's not anything you can do, rather, it's through everything He did through Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, Jesus said to His disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, what do you have to do? Here's the hard thing you have to turn from your selfish ways. I want to get what I want to get when I want to get it. My culture has told me and the commercials have told me and the TV shows and everything else has told me that I should be able to get what I want to get when I want to get it. And if I don't have enough money, there are a plethora of ways to get it without even having the pocket change to get it with. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. This is so hard for us to conceive, isn't it? If we hang on to our life, we'll lose it. How many of you try to hang on to, to your life? You know what I mean? No, no, no. I, I, I've got I've to hold on to this. I've got to hold on to that. I, my, where do you find your security? Is it in your job, in your family? It is it in, in your circle of friends? Is it in? What is your security found in? Because here's the problem, if your security is found anywhere other than in Christ Jesus, your security is faulty. And what is a faulty security system on your house? It's no good! Would you, have, would you pay a monthly fee to a security company if you know they only work 50% of the time? Would you? What if we could find 100% full security for our salvation, for our eternity, because there is one. But we don't always believe that. And I'd rather bet I'd rather bet on the 50 percent chance rather than the 100 percent chance.. It sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But I see it as a pastor, and I'm guessing you guys do too. I'm willing to bet on my way rather than God's way. If you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus says, you'll save it. What do you benefit? If you gain the whole world but lose your soul, is anything worth more than your soul? Finally, Ruth and Naomi patiently waited to hear from Boaz whether or not he would marry Ruth. So not only did, did Ruth have to wait until Boaz fell asleep to take a rest to go uncover his feet, he told her, I need you to wait a little bit longer. Can you, have, you, have you ever had to wait for something so bad? You knew the answer was coming. Maybe it was a doctor's report or a test. Maybe, maybe it was something. Have you ever waited and you're just like, oh, I can't. Why is it taking so long? You ever done that? Well, I mean, I have. And I hate it. I don't like to wait. I'm an instant gratification kind of guy, if I'm being honest with you. I want to know now, but as I read scripture, how often do you see God giving the answer like that? Hey, Abraham, we talked about this this morning too, Abraham, Genesis 12 verse 1, hey Abraham, take all your belongings, your servant, all your, take your family and head off to a land I'll show you, okay? I'll uproot right now, not knowing where I'm going, I'll just head off in a general direction, Yep. How will I know when I get there? I'll let you know. What will I do when I get there? I'll let you know. What's the purpose for the trip? I'll tell you along the way. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. You'll be a blessing to all the nations. Trust me. Did Abraham get to see the fulfillment of the promise? He got to see one fulfillment of the promise. <laughs> I will make you into a mighty nation. How many kids did Abraham have? Minus Ishmael from the servant lady. How many? Say it one more time. That's a mighty nation. Abraham and Sarah had one kid between them. And what did Abraham do? It was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith in God, because he trusted and believed. He wasn't perfectly trusting and believing all the time. You read Genesis 13, and he really blows it with Pharaoh. He's like, yeah, she's my sister. <laughs> and she, you know what I'm talking about? i mean, sorry. If you haven't read it, it's really funny, and it's sad at the same time. The Bible is amazing. You've got to read it. It's better than a soap opera, if you like soap operas. Isaiah, again, 40, says this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What is his understanding? It's unsearchable. If God's understanding is unsearchable, then why do we get so ticked off at God when things aren't going our way? Because if he knows all the answers to every situation and he, re- he decides I'm not going to answer it this way right now or I may not answer it this way ever because there's a better answer for you. If his understanding is unsearchable, then why do we think we've got it all figured out and we can just say, yeah, God, I've got it figured out. I don't need you anymore because you're not doing it my way. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths grow faint and are weary. The young will will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. See, as we wait patiently on the Lord, that's when we grow. Because if you were always into instant gratification or God always answering things your way right away, you're not going to grow. What does James say in James chapter 1? Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you encounter trials or troubles of many kind. Why? Not because he's a sadist or some kind of masochistic guy. Why? Because it produces endurance. And endurance produces faith. And when faith is fully grown, we become complete, needing nothing. How would you like to need nothing? Seriously, how would you like to need nothing? But unless our endurance is tested, unless our faith is tried, we can't grow. Our root system of faith grows weak. And just like I've seen a tree in my neighbor's yard through the wind and the ice storms over the past few weeks, not be able to sustain, when it fell over, it fell over root ball and all. And guess how shallow those roots were? Very shallow. Not able to withstand the winds and the ice. close with this. To those who are always in a hurry, there's some good advice from a 19th century preacher by the name of A.B. Simpson. Listen to what he says. Listen to what she says. Beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex you again? (laughs) Yeah, that's super exciting. There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, forbearance, or long-suffering if you are to practice these things, it has to be now. Yes, each day affords countless opportunities to learn patience. Let's not waste them. Commenting on our need for this virtue, M.H. Lount says, God's best gifts come slowly. Let me say that again. God's best gifts come slowly. We could not use them if they did not. Many a man and woman called of God to a work in which she or he is pouring out their lives is convinced that the Lord means to bring his efforts to a successful conclusion. Nevertheless, even such a confident worker grows discouraged at times and the wor- and worries because results do not come as rapidly as they would desire. I'm working, God, I'm working for you, I'm giving my life for you, I believe in you, I'm studying scripture, I'm praying, where are you? Do you not see what's going on in my life? Do you not hear the struggles that I'm going through when I pray? Are you not aware of what's happening here? Confident workers grow discouraged at times. But growth and strength and waiting are a result often greater than the, in the, uh, than the end so impatiently longed for. Let me say that again. Growth and strength in the waiting are results often greater than the end so impatiently longed for. Paul had a time to realize this as he lay in prison. Did you know Paul was in prison, wrote a couple of his letters that we now have as New Testament books? Wrote them from prison. <laughs> They're filled with joy, Moses must have asked why many times during the delays in Midian in the wilderness. How long was Moses in the wilderness after he left Egypt? 40 years. years. I'm guessing he must have thought God had forgotten him. This miracle baby who had been found by Pharaoh's daughter drifting down a treacherous Nile and just so happened upon her porch. I knew he knew the story. He grew up with the story. And then 40 years later, he's still in the desert in the wilderness until a burning bush reminds him of who he is and whose he is. Jesus himself experienced the discipline of delay in his silent years before the great public ministry began. What did he do between the age of 12 and 30? He grew in wisdom and stature. He he learned how to do carpentry like his stepfather Joseph did. He grew to understand how the culture works in many ways. See, God wants us to see results as we work for him, but his concern is our growth. That's why he often withholds success until we've learned patience. The Lord teaches us this needed lesson though the blessed, uh, through the blessed discipline of delay. And here's what I say at this. Kindness waits patiently for the Lord to answer and for the Holy Spirit to move. So how's your level of patience today? As our worship team comes forward and begins to close this out today, are you working more to benefit yourself or others? Are you taking risks for God that could result in amazing things, or are your fears overriding your willingness to put yourself out there? Are you waiting upon the Lord, or are you taking matters into your own hands without following his lead in your life? True kindness waits patiently for the right time to act, and it waits upon the Lord until the strength is renewed and until he reveals the opportunity. And true kindness knows that the right time to act is directly related to our relationship with God. So this morning, as you stand, I want you to consider this. If you are struggling with patience, if you're struggling with faith, if you're struggling with waiting, if you're struggling with not getting the answers you want from God in the time you want it, maybe it's, maybe it's time to press in instead of checking out. Maybe he wants you to grow through this circumstance stronger than you were before you started going through it. Maybe he wants to to, to bring something amazing out of this experience in your life so that you can come on the other side of it and say, praise the Lord. Yes, I went through the valley of the shadow of death, but I didn't fear evil because he was with me and I've come out on the other side and the view is beautiful. Yes, I have some scars along the way, but he's faithful. If you need to pray and have someone pray with you this morning to release whatever it is you need to release, to find the hope, the peace, and the faith in this journey that you need to find, you can come to my right, your left. Somebody would be willing to pray with you here. If you need to reckon with God for things that are very private to you right now and you're not ready to share them with anybody else, you can come to my left, or right, right. Nobody will bother you over here. But don't leave today without making some decision and transformation through Jesus Christ who causes you and desires for you to press in rather than to check out. Would you pray with me? Father, again this day, we love you. We were created with a purpose, each and every one of us. You love us completely. You've not forgotten us. You pursue us relentlessly at times. Help us to pursue you just as relentlessly, even when the answers are not forthcoming, even when we have to wait. Father, renew our strength, I pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Maine, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.